Welcome to Below the Line, where we talk about movies from the crew perspective. My name is Skid. I was an assistant director in Hollywood for the better part of eight years. Now I'm not. Today, we're talking about 2003's The Matrix Reloaded, directed by the Wachowskis and starring Keanu Reeves. I Rotten Tomatoes, the tomato meter is 73%, and the critics' consensus reads, though its heady themes are a departure from his predecessor, The Matrix Reloaded is a worthy sequel packed with popcorn-friendly thrills. We're not concerned about what the critics thought, but we are going to be talking about those popcorn-friendly thrills. While the majority of the film was shot at Fox Studios in Australia, several of the key action scenes were filmed at a decommissioned naval air station in Alameda, California, and my guests today all worked the Alameda portion of the film. First, Sean O'Banion. Sean, welcome to Below the Line. Thanks for having me. Sean, you were a production assistant on The Matrix Reloaded, and in fact, you and I first met when you were a PA and I was the DGA trainee on Swordfish, I believe, a couple of years before this. And what are you up to these days? I spent the last couple of years producing independent films. And currently, I live in Prague in the Czech Republic, where I'm a project manager on the VFX side for the largest post and VFX house in Central Europe. John, glad you're here and glad we could coordinate with your schedule today. Thanks for joining. Next, I'm joined by another PA from the movie, Sean Roberts. Sean, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Now, Sean, you and I actually worked together after your Matrix work when you were a PA and I was the second second AD on Tim Burton's Big Fish. Yes. But that was one of your last film credits, correct? It was, yeah. I'd been a PA for seven years at that point. It was at a, at a point in my career, I was about to join the DGA and just thought, I just, I can't do 80-hour work weeks anymore. I'm tired of traveling. So got out of the business, moved to Florida, went into real estate 15 years ago and have been doing that ever since. I'm a real estate agent in Florida. Loving it. Okay, thanks, Sean. We're glad you could uh, join us today to revisit the, the film work. Finally, in our fourth chair, we're joined once again by stuntwoman extraordinaire and fan-favorite podcast guest, Annie Ellis. Annie, welcome back to Below the Line. Thank you, Skid. Glad to be here. Now, so Annie, tell me what you were doing, your role in stunts on this film. What I did was... Um came with my brother and uh, Ronnie R.A. Rondell, who was the main coordinator on the film. My brother was the second unit director. He directed all but two days of a uh, just under four-month car chase that we did. So I was in many, many cars, did some crashes, and uh, also did all the maps and stuff. It takes a lot of maps to figure out where you are two months later. So, Annie, we're going to deep dive into the specifics of the stunt work later in the show. But there's one thing I need to clear up first. Sean and Sean, there's no way you are both called Sean on the set of this film. That's no. correct. I was called uh, Roberts. He was O'Banion. And then we had a, the second AD. He got, actually got to be called Sean because he was well above us and on the call sheet. So he was Sean. I was Roberts. That was O'Banion. That's how we did it. Got it. Okay, well, we'll use the same uh, conceit today and just call you guys by your last names so that our listeners aren't confused. Let's dive more <laughs> specifically into the filming. Uh, Annie, you mentioned that there was a four-month-long car chase for folks who have seen the movie. That's a major freeway chase. It's a huge uh, set piece. But let's also identify what other scenes were filmed during this period of the movie. It's all built on Alameda Island in San Francisco is where they built that huge um, freeway set with the big walls and the, all that stuff. But they also had a, other huge sets where they had the fights and the dance sequence. Yeah, so we had, so there were four major sequences there. There was the freeway chase, Zion, which was the big dance party in the caves. 
There was the truck fight, which was Morpheus and the bad guy on the, on the big semi, which was all on blue screen stage. And then there was the burly brawl, which was Neo versus the 40 agents in that park that looked like it was between two kind of uh, tenement apartment buildings, but that was also all on stage. Got it. Okay. And so, so were these things going on at the same time? Uh, uh, Annie, you referenced the freeway uh, <clears throat> set up on one side and the, were they filming the brawl on the same days or was it back and forth? It was almost four months there. One of the brawls I know took just about almost a month, you know, so yes, they were all going on at the same time. So you had my brother over on um, doing a second unit car chase. You, uh, the main directors did come to the car chase for two days. You had a main stunt coordinator, R.A. Rondell. His second stunt coordinator was Freddie Heiss. That's who I helped uh, when I started doing all the maps for the car chase. Then you also had uh, fight choreographers. You had all kinds of choreographers for the different fights that were taking place over there. So, yes, it was all going down at the same time. So, Annie, you came in with uh, your brother, David Ellis. Uh, Roberts, why how did you get involved with the film? John Morse was the second second on the San Francisco portion, and I had worked with him a year previously on the film Little Nicky. And he and I become friends, and they were able to bring four PAs up from Los Angeles. And he had kind of, they kind of like, each AD kind of got to pick one or two PAs they wanted to bring. And I was John Morris's guy. It was me and one other PA, a guy named Joe Roddy, that he called us both and said, come up and let's do this. So that's how I got involved with it. O'Banion, how about yourself? I think I was doing the movie K-Pax, um, and when I heard that they were going to do a chunk of Matrix in, in the U.S. and California, I had made some calls and, and sort of gotten some names by referral. And when I heard that Roberts was going to do it, I had brought Roberts on to uh, second unit Wild Wild West, the uh, thing with uh, Will Smith and George Clooney. It was Will Smith, right? Um, Kevin Klein. Kevin Klein. Sorry, it was supposed to be Clooney. Anyway, uh, so so when I found out Roberts had already gotten a spot, I called him up and said, "Hey, you know, I've talked to these guys in the office, but if you would mind putting in a word for me, you know, maybe I can come up there and we can bunk together and 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 work on at that time what was you know we thought was going to be the coolest movie ever made." Well, certainly there was the reputation of the first Matrix that uh, carried into the planning for the filming, uh, both the the second and third film of the trilogy. Um, and so yeah, I could see uh, what you guys are looking for. And as we mentioned earlier, it, uh, generally favorable reviews, if not the best of all time. But let's uh, dive into some of the more specific things. This freeway chase uh, out at uh, Alameda. Annie, I think as, as you alluded to, or folks might know, they actually built the freeway track from scratch. Absolutely. Yeah, they had, uh, I think, 18 foot walls on each side of it. The first day I saw it, I was just um, blown away at how real it looked. I, I know it was over a mile, and a lot of it was on some old landing pad stuff from old, um, air, I don't know if it was an air base out there or what. Yeah, it was, an, it was a retired Naval Air Force yeah. base. Mm -hmm. And it also, uh, it, it, in addition to being, I think it was like three and a half miles long was our run. And it also had a functional overpass that we used for picture as well for, for one yeah. sequence. Annie, let me ask you, was David or anybody else involved in sort of the construction and planning of what 
the freeway was going to be? Or did that just grow out of what had been written in the script? And then they brought you guys in after the set had been built. David would always on every movie, whether he uh, second unit directed or directed, would, would always have meetings with all those guys as to how it would best, you know, be carried out, see what the main directors want. And then how, you know, he'd put in his two cents of how they could, you know, make certain stuff work. So he, I know he definitely had um, meetings with them way before we shot that. And so, uh, so let's start getting into some of the details on how that went together. You said about four months of filming, one stunt a day, two stunts a day, just mostly driving to, to do pickups. Tell me a little bit more about how that went down. And, and tell us more about those maps you've referenced a couple of times. I think that, that could, sounds like it was critical. I don't know why I thought about doing those maps on the first day of shooting. I just had this thought that we had, you know, 90-something stunt guys we were going to have. Uh, I think we had, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, didn't we have like 900, 1,000 extras going the other way in cars? There, nondescript drivers. Yeah, there, there weren't that many, but there were, there were a lot. Yeah. There, was, there were several hundred. There were, yeah. We had yeah, precision. So, so about 100,000. 100, yep. <laughs> <laughs> Round up. Yeah, they were there the whole time. They were there through the entire freeway shoot. Yeah. Yeah, but, but on our side, with how many, you know, and, and the chase did skip to the other side of the freeway. So it wasn't just on one side, you know. Mm -hmm. And like they said, the overpass was used. She jumps off the overpass to, to the semi with the motorcycle on it they get on that we go that way again so it was all over the place so the the maps were for continuity you know and i actually when the the first unit directors came for two days i got called over to the burley van they were calling the burley van that because that was the name of the script in the in the or the under cover name of the script was uh burly man that was the code name for the film on the, the code name so yeah. they called the van where the van was where you have video village or all the monitors that your director is looking at are in that van so that they can the van can can chase behind what's going on with all the um crashes and stuff so even when I got called over there, even when the the first unit, the main directors came and got in the Burley van to show them and uh, everybody my maps so that they could then set the cars around whatever car the actor was in, you know, and get all the cars right. Because otherwise your continuity is going to be really screwed up when you get to editing. You'll have a red car there instead of the white Honda, you know. So that's why I've, I don't know, I've always been uh, into continuity, I guess. And I just thought about that and did it. And it sure came in handy because like a month or two in when they say, yeah, so we're going to go back to, to scene 47A. So go get in those cars you were in, guys. <laughs> and all the stunt guys looked at me and went, honey, help. What car was I in? You know what I mean? So, yeah, it came in handy. I, I came up there, part of the reason I got hired, I mean, aside from Robert's recommendation, was that I had become kind of the background guy. Um, and then I knew, they knew that I could wrangle people really well. So I think if, if I remember correctly, there were about two to 250 regular background and then an additional 50 to 75 quote unquote precision drivers. Yeah. 
higher higher rate drivers that were the buffer between stunts and regular background. And and again, like Robert said, they were there the entire four months. It was a great gig for those people. But but when so when Annie was doing her continuity, it wasn't just about stunt people. It was also about the precision drivers. Also about any high and wide shots that would look all the way down the line. So I would be sitting there in like a golf cart <laughs> in between setups and see Andy running down the lanes, you know, talking about what's your name? What's your name? Okay. And what kind of car is this? <laughs> yep. And so the background cars and the precision drivers, they were also on for the entire chase. So you weren't bringing in new folks or trying to train people in the middle. Yeah, no, everybody had to be the same precisely because of the, the complexity of what we were doing. The, the big idea for the sequence was always that for those two days that at the time Andy and Larry um, were going to come out and shoot first unit stuff, they were going to put our principal actors in cars with cameras so that you could see the faces of Neo and Trinity in that car and through the back window while the fight was going on in the car, you could see cars flipping over and, you know, launching off of K rails and, that that was always the thing is we're going to come out here eventually once the, the stunt team establishes the action we're going to then put the real actors in the car and have all this insanity going on behind and so that insanity was all done in two days when the directors were on set or there was would would the principals come and go depending on where you were in the stunt sequence well, that certain that particular sequence he's talking about happened in the two days they came out, but we did a ten of turnovers and insane stuff without the actors there. One thing I just wanted to mention, um, talking about background, when we had the hundred thousand background guys, uh, <laughs> no, the few hundred people on the going the other way, when we just had them going the other way, and we were shooting you know, say off the back of a, of a picture car and going past, you know, our cars, like maybe crashing or flipping or whatever. But you can also see to the right side, say you could see the background going the other way on the freeway. And they're just cruising along, right? I remember it took us quite a while to get it so that we could get a few hundred pre people to go on action. <laughs> because what they do is when the person in front of them takes off his gas and starts then they take off their gas and start then the next guy takes off his gas so by the time you get down the line they're still sitting there they haven't gone so we, it took us a while to to train them and i know banyan had something to do with that he you know went along we kind of explained to everybody just right on action problem is they don't all have radios right so that's the problem when you have that many extras in cars they do not all have radios so they do not hear action on a couple mile long freeway set that they're working on they might be behind a, a around a corner around a bend so that was really tough to get that going but they've they finally got it you know where they all would take off on action it was it was great it's hard to do yeah, I was going to say part of that, part of that training on getting them to like really lock in and be aware to everything that's going on around them was the resets because to have them literally make U-turns on that freeway is just a waste of time. So we would literally back people down a three mile stretch. And what would happen is a couple of times, 
these people would back down and then leave the car in reverse, forget to, you know, pop it back in a drive. And when the, when the other cars start moving, somebody hits the gas, start going backwards. So we had to have a lot of like discussions about, listen, guys, this is, you know, it's serious business. What we're doing out here, people can get hurt. So you have got to pay attention. You can't be reading your books and, you know, in, in, in fantasy land, you've got to look at what the cars are doing in front of you and behind you. Did you guys have any um, accidents with the background? The people that uh, it took them a week or two to get, get set on this? No, no, I'm not that I remember. Everybody here is professionals. There were no accidents. <laughs> when you have Ari Rondell and the Ellis family, there's no accidents. <laughs> Andy, tell us a little bit more about where there may have been accidents on the stunt side of things <laughs> over the course of those four Ooh, months. Um, what were some of the difficult ones? I mean, there's, a, there's so many stunts. To get, we could spend an entire we, podcast breaking it down one, one by one. There but. Was, we did have Debbie Evans who did um, – most of the doubling, she did not jump off the bridge onto the big semi with all the motorcycles. But she was the one on the motorcycle going in and out head on into cars after she turned around. But there was this one spot where the guys are, you know, what do they call that? They're morphing into the driver of the semi. The and all of a sudden, boom, yeah. it's the agent, right? And she's coming alongside him between the wall and him. And that he, I was, my car was right off the, the butt of that end of that. And we rehearsed that a couple times in a certain way. It all went fine where she's, she's up about halfway up the semi. She slams on her brakes as he comes and the semi hits the wall in front of her. But when we went to do uh, action and we were filming it, there's a rear brake on a semi truck. You can make it do that slap over without using the rear brake, which is what was being done in our rehearsals. If you use a rear brake on it, it goes a lot faster over there to that slap on that. And that's what happened. And Debbie, literally, my heart stopped because I was right next to her in my car and her wheel was still right under that semi as it hit. I mean, that's how close it was to. And thank God, Debbie's like the best on a motorcycle, always has been. Her and I got in about the same time in the business. And, and mm. I'd always say, yeah, call her for motorcycle. And she'd say, call Annie for horses. And, you know, <laughs> both do cars, but yeah, she's insane on a motorcycle. So we're lucky we had her on there. No accident there. Now, Banyan, if you were working with those background uh, drivers, were you basically then assigned to the... Uh, racetrack freeway sequence is that where you spent most of your four months or were you back and forth depending on where the other I, action was i mean i wasn't i was back and forth depending yeah, obviously that that truck sequence or that chase sequence on the freeway is all daylight so when the sun would go down i'd fold in with main you know main unit uh, or i would end up going over to fittings for zion stuff and, and gaff people getting through all the all the clothing that they put on them because everybody was dressed specifically. So yeah, I mean, I was kind of all. What, one of the things I was going to say about what Annie was just saying, there obviously was CG in this movie. But when you think about that sequence, you think about even a, even a rider on a motorcycle with another rider on the back. When she's doing that stuff in and out of cars, none of those cars were CG. That was all practical stunt driving and all i mean it just what we were doing it, it reminds me of the big safety meeting we had 
which is an interesting story because of one of the actors, but it was pretty crazy. It was very planned and everybody knew their jobs. And, and as Roberts said earlier, it was jokingly, but everybody knew what they were supposed to do. But at the same time, you're really pushing the limits of what is able to be done practically on, on a set. Follow up with the safety meeting story that you alluded to. Well, so in, in line with that discussion about what, doing what is even possible, they brought all of the cast to the, to the main safety meeting, which was the day before the first day. And they sort of outlined every sequence. And so this is how we're doing it. This is what we're going to do. And I remember in the midst of the safety meeting, uh, Lawrence Fishburne raising his hand and the room getting kind of quiet and everybody looked at him. <laughs> and this is something, by the way, that Roberts and I have referenced. To this day. Virtually, <laughs> yeah, virtually every month since this movie back in, you know, whatever it was, 2001. Yeah. He raises his hand, the room sort of goes silent. And I think Andy or Larry said like, yeah, Lawrence. And Lawrence goes, I want everybody to know that I am very scared about what we are doing here. And everybody just kind of doesn't know what to say. And then he goes, what I want to know in the freeway sequence is where will the medevac be? <laughs> Dead, he's stone cold serious. He's not joking. He's stone cold serious. He's like, will there be a medevac on set at all times? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and then it went back to RA and those guys and like, well, we, we got this. We know. I mean, we, you know, we, we were charting everything out and he made him feel very safe. But yeah, he just kind of spoke for everybody and going, this is, I just want everybody to be aware. This is serious, it's dangerous, and I'm afraid. Is there a medevac around? You know, because it was. I mean, it's, it was some crazy stuff they did on that freeway. Crazy stuff. Yeah. And what's funny is, and not, it, I ended up um, working on another film that came out that same summer. It was, uh, it was Terminator 3, which had a gigantic, gigantic car chase in that as well. Gigantic chase and gigantic truck. And the ADs were asking, like, you were on the Matrix, right? So talk to us about that chase because the producers keeps talking about that chase because they were coming out within a month or two. These are like the big summer 2003 films. They're going, we have to try and top that chase. And this is like a big deal. So tell us about that. And I didn't tell them. It. I was like, hey, I signed a comp down chat. I'm not saying anything. But it was just funny because that chase was so over the top on The Matrix. It's so big that that same summer, Terminator 3 and Bad Boys 2 each had gigantic car chases and they were they knew that the matrix was going to be the one to have this incredible chase like well how are we going to top what they're doing they hadn't even seen the film but it was just the word the buzz through the business that they knew that what we were doing up there was some really really unique stuff i tell you this on none of the other films they did not build a freeway they were on they were on streets of la in a miami you know intersection but we actually built a freeway to do some of the crazy stuff that has ever been done I would say too there was there was a one of the two days that uh, the Wachowskis were there in in the Burley van. They shot obviously you know when you watch the film there's a lot of that stuff that was done high frame rate, and uh, when the van would be at the lead of all of these cars, so it'd be action. The van would go, then everybody would go, and when they get to the end of the run, basically where the walls stop and you basically run into the bay everybody would run to that van to get a look at playback and see these cars in slow motion, like fly. It looked like aerial ballet with 3000 yeah. pound cars. It was insane. 
You know, Annie, I want to ask you about uh, what Robert's referenced earlier about other movies trying to outstunt what you were doing on Matrix Reloaded. But the stunt community is not all that big, right? And so, in fact, you worked on um, Bad Boys 2 and maybe I, some of these others as well. Certainly people were talking amongst the stunt community about what was going on. How, how does the community deal with all of these massive stunt efforts going on around the same time? You know, I mean, the business has changed so much as we all know now, but um, some good and some bad, I would say. People are getting into stunts without any training. That's why we're seeing a lot more accidents happen. Um, but like these kind of chasings that we did, you know, there's a, I would say there's mm, probably four or five big coordinators, Ari being one of them, that could gather together a hundred stunt guys that could do anything, you know, in cars. You know, then you got the Gill brothers, and I mean, I could name a lot of uh, quite a few guys that are my buddies that I've worked with on their Tom journeys. The no. Chernies, I love those guys. The Chernies love them, but there was a couple big crews together at the same time. And yeah, I got called for several and could only do a couple, you know, because they're all running at the same time. It was a crazy time right then. So speaking of things running at the same time, let's talk about what was going on in Alameda. We've got the huge freeway sequence going on, but we've also got this burly fight going on in parallel. Roberts, did you have a set that you were on more, one or the other? Yes, I was kind of the set guy. I was the main set PA, so I was wherever first unit was. And for the first month, first unit was on the freeway, and and we were shooting in conjunction on the freeway with second unit. And then we left, and we went to do the truck top fight, and then we went and did the burly brawl, and then we went and did Zion. So I was on right there on set the entire time through with, with uh, first unit. You might have mentioned, say again, how long was first unit on the freeway set before they went over to? I w- it was about a month. It was about a month. And then we went and did the truck top five. It, it, like each scene took about a month, it seemed. Like of the four sequences we did, they dedicated first unit, had about a month on each one. Whereas second unit was on that freeway for the entire four months. Well, let's talk more about uh, those other sets. So you said the fight sequence, it's on top of the truck in the movie, but you're doing it against blue screen for obvious safety reasons. Yeah, so what they did is they had the semi-truck on uh, one of the big stages at Alameda. And what these stages are, by the way, they were hangars. They were old airplane hangars that we had basically converted into stages. So they had a gigantic blue screen that wrapped around the entire truck. And that's where the wire crew was. And that was Morpheus and uh, Daniel Bernhardt played the agent that he was fighting on top of this truck for about a good 30 days. And what was really cool is that, and the same thing in the Burley Brawl, they fought, they, they shot it in, in sequence. Like they literally shot it in the order of, you know, how the entire scene played out, which I thought was a really smart way to do it. And I, I grew up on action movies. I love all the kung fu stuff. I love all the fighting. And I remember one of the first days on the truck top fight, they were kind of rehearsing and prepping, get everything ready to go. And we actually only got one shot off that day because it took an entire day to kind of block this out. And the shot was right when the two, where Morpheus and the agent walk up to each other and the agent reaches for his gun and Morpheus grabs him and does his punch in the face and that was it. And then we cut, said, all right, we'll come back tomorrow. And I remember going, 
yeah, I can't wait to see what they're going to do tomorrow because it was just so, they, like that was the first start and then it just went from there and an entire month of that. And it was impressive. It was really, really cool. And from there into the Burley fight where um, yes. you guys said 40 agents, but there's obviously a digital part where it's hundreds. But you're saying in practical terms, there were about 40 people there? No, there were actually 12. And what they were, were they were stunt guys, um, one of which, um, that, what, Sean, what's the, the director now that's doing, that is doing John Wick and, or not, yeah. did, not, not Chad, but the other guy who just did uh, Hobbs and Shaw. What's David, Dave, David Leach. David Leach. So he was one of the Smiths, as were 12 other stunt guys. And, uh, and obviously Hugo was one of the Smiths as well. And the other guys they had in makeup and prosthetics to make them look as close as they could to, uh, to Hugo Weaving and to Agent Smith. And they were all involved in that sequence. And in the actual fight sequence, when you get above, some of the shots you can, I could clearly see where it's just the 12 stunt guys. And if, unless it's really on their face, you can't really tell that it's one of the stunt people. You don't know who's Hugo and who's a stunt guy. But once the fight started to get bigger and bigger, they brought in, CG Smith, or they would do digital face replacement. But that was another really interesting sequence because it was completely in order of, uh, of sequence. And the thing that impressed me the most about that is that Keanu literally did every single piece of it himself. Every single bit of that he did. Going back to now John Wick, Chad Stahelski was uh, Keanu's stunt double. And he's now the director of the John Wick series, which I just, we could do a whole other podcast on that. If we, I think that those are just incredible films. And I remember going up to Chad like a week into it and going, God, this is like incredible that Keanu's like, he's not letting his double in for, and he's doing all these fight moves. And Chad goes, yep, that's why I love him. Cause he's just, he is, he's incredible. He's a professional. And he, he, it was just amazing watching him do everything and memorize all these fight moves. And that took an entire month. Um, and it was a really cool set because we were in the middle of what felt, it was from the floor to the ceiling, this tenement park, 360 degree buildings around us. And we're in the middle of this park. And this fight went on for an entire 30 days. So I was literally, that, that was in heaven. That was the most fun I'd ever had on a film set because I love the fight stuff. I love watching that. And it was just a blast just watching them do it. The precision and of what these guys were doing and the talent and the wire crew and those guys were just absolutely amazing. Absolutely incredible. Oh, I was just going to say, I don't, I don't know if anybody actually ever counted the punches and the blocks and all that in that. So it would be fascinating to know because obviously it's a lot. And I remember <clears throat> I would go into that set and you would hear Keanu, he, he took everything so seriously, man. And if they would go through a, a sequence of moves and he would miss one, he would literally go, fuck! You'd hear it through the whole hangar. You'd hear it. And he'd be like, yeah. do it, let's go. Let's keep rolling. Let's go. Let's do it again. And, he, and you were like, God, man, he's like, you know. That was just how he, he, he kind of released that tension and that anger. He would scream the top of his lungs and then go right back into it. <laughs> the set between the tenement buildings where the Smith fight is taking place, that was built in one of the hangars on the Alameda Air Station. Yes, it was built uh, the next hangar over from where we did the truck top. And that, the set for the, the, uh, the Burley Brawl was in a conjoining hangar with where they were simultaneously building the Zion Underground, the cave. 
which was a humongous set because that was where we were going to finish the shoot was in there. So that was the only thing for all the PAs we had to run around locking up was trying to get the guys on the next set over to stop construction when we were shooting because they were building this set. And remember, these are hangers. These are not soundproof studios at Warner Brothers. So you would hear everything. So we, that, we had multiple PAs that were, had to be spread out to kind of keep everybody to stop, get everybody to stop working when we were actually shooting. But yeah, they were all basically, the, the, the hangers were kind of all right next to each other. And then right outside the hangar, you go maybe a, you know, a quarter of a mile and then you were at uh, where, the, where they were shooting second unit where they did the uh, the whole freeway set. So we were we were all there the whole time. The only time we were actually on location was the very first week we were in the streets of Oakland. That's the only time we were out in the streets. Uh, the rest of the time it was all at the Naval Station. Let's talk more about that. Annie, what was the work that was going on in Oakland for that first week? This particular shot is they're in the underground parking lot, and we don't have that anywhere on a set on Alameda Island. So we're going to use the real underground parking lot. And she does a jump. She gets about three feet off the ground as she comes out and onto the street where right away the, um, the axle, she broke the axle. Thank you. The, the, axle, the axle broke. First shot of the movie. <laughs> and and uh, I'll never forget them. They, they were real strict, you know, like they are nowadays on all the Marvel sets they don't want anyone to have their cell phones and you know cameras and stuff but they didn't want anybody to take pictures of the the four-door silver cadillac which we had a ton of all bullet holed and crashed up let's remember that gm gave them 300 cars that before we even started shooting the chase they had riddled with bullet holes. So the black SUV was from them too. So 300 cars they gave us, we ruined every single one of them. But as we are being told not to use any cell phones, they don't want any pictures out because those Cadillacs had not been had not come out yet to the public. Those were the new cars. They were the concept versions, essentially, yeah. yeah they were the concept cars which is what they came out with after the film and stuff. But it was funny when we looked up in all these uh, buildings around where we were working for that first time and all the people in the windows with their cell phones taking little pictures of the concept cars. <laughs> so, and the next, the next day, it was on ain'titcoolnews.com. And this was, this was early in that kind of like internet phase of when set pictures would be going online. That was, that was early on in those days. But yeah, the next day uh, we looked online at Andy Cool News and there were, you saw the car, you saw all of us down there in the streets. And I, well, that wasn't a secret for too long. <laughs> I remember, I remember it, there was a bit of a competition among the PAs to, to see whose picture was in the paper or whose picture was going to be on Ain't It Cool or whatever. I don't know if I, I don't know who won that contest. I don't remember. <laughs> When you were shooting in a practical location in Oakland, first of all, you must have brought in additional PAs and such, or was this primarily a stunt sequence? Like, who was coordinating overseeing that? I would say primarily it was a stunt sequence. I mean, it was the car tearing out of the garage, going down the street, going around the corner. There was, like, one kind of intersection of Oakland that we shot at, and they went, you know, it's what you would do on a typical location with stunts, but it was, it was stunts were pretty much run the show, and it was first unit. Uh, with a little bit of second unit, I think mixed in, but it was it was all it was all stunts all day long. Annie, were there any particular challenges from that little sequence? 
other than, you know, it had to be done a few times because the axle broke. But I do remember my brother was there also, and he was just um, working with the guys, you know, because it was first unit. And, uh, and then all the drivers. It was not all the stunt guys that ended up being on the freeway. We didn't have all, you know, we didn't need them all. There was just a few of us out in cars on the street that she goes around as she comes out of that uh, underground parking lot. It's Trinity driving. It's Morpheus and the passenger. And then the this, is the, this, this is the scene that leads up to the freeway, just, just before the freeway. And we had, I think it was Tim Trello was like the main twin double with the, with the dr white dreads. Uh, and, yeah. and he had to be sticking up out of the sunroof of the Tim SUV. Rigby. Tim Rigby was the other one. That's Rigby. right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And then, and then, so as the, as the SUV would come up out of that underground, you know, they would immediately open fire <laughs> on the, on the CTS. And so it would be this whole lockdown, not only that, but let, you know, we had to do all the announcements about live gunfire and full loads and all that kind of stuff. And we were, when, when they would come up the ramp, they would be directly opposite another building at the other side of the street, you know? So it was like the echo of those full loads in yeah. these high rises was out of control. Yeah. They were full loads and you heard them all through the streets of Oakland. It was cool. Let's talk about the scene that we uh, mentioned earlier, the Zion rave. Uh, Morpheus gives a big speech, uh, then the music kicks in. Uh, tell me a little bit about putting that together. There were probably, how many actors were there, Sean? That was... That was almost a thousand people. Yeah. And it, and it was, I think I had to sit for uh, three or four weeks of fittings for what they were called the diaphanous revelers. That's how we <laughs> referred to the group. And all of them, almost all of them had to agree to sign to nudity because they were wearing these diaphanous sort of mesh clothing. So there yeah. naked women everywhere and naked guys everywhere. And it was essentially, I mean, it became like a rave in there. The cave was almost entirely constructed of sculpted and painted styrofoam. So they would take like hot wires and like slide them into the styrofoam and make shapes out like rock shapes, which is pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. And then we had, I want to say anywhere from 800, depending to a thousand people. I think it was only three days, right, Roberts? Yes. Yeah, that's right. That was the shortest. So I said 30. It was a month for the other stuff. That was the shortest sequence. It felt like a month because it was just, it, that was at the end of the shoot is in June. So it was very hot in there. We had a thousand bodies in there at one point. Then they have rain machines going there. No, maybe it was just sweat. That's all it was. I just, <laughs> but it was soaking wet. And I have a funny story about that. So that was all, of course, the thousand extra told, you know, NDAs, don't say anything, it's all top secret. And on day two, uh, there was a story on a website that one of these extras had done a huge blog about their day on the Matrix set. It, it went through the entire, and we're reading it, we're going, oh my God, this like whoever it is telling the whole deal. They said, so here I, it was literally like their day, a diary of their day. They go, here I am checking in. And my designation is extra, or diaphanous reveler number. <laughs> 554 oh. <laughs> they said this so so the next so i heard about this halfway through the next day on set and sean was the guy like earl band was the guy in charge of this he was like he was the regular boss so i go outside the set and i go did you hear about this this extra that one i'm like 
and it was hysterical because he pulled out of his cargo pants he was wearing. He pulled out of uh, the story he printed online. He goes, oh, yeah, I got it right here. We, I'll, you know, match the guy's number to who he was and, like, chewed his ass. And I, I don't I, – I, did y'all fire him? What happened? Yeah, that, that, that had to – I mean, that had to go up the chain, obviously. All, I mean, that – you know, Warner Brothers and, and Village Roadshow got wind of that, and they were like, who is this motherfucker? <laughs> who, is, who is extra number 556? It's like him yeah. in the diary, yeah. Yeah, so whatever they, it was, they were like, find this guy and bring him to the production office. And that's what I did. <laughs> And did he come back to set? No, no, no. That that he was he was signed out and finished. And thank you very much. Right. That was the that was the one sequence that I remembered not being a lot of fun because it was just extremely hot in this uh, hangar and all those bodies and there was it was mud, like just mud everywhere. And when they got in that rave sequence, it was it was just a literal shit show. It was just it wasn't a lot of fun. But uh, it was a cool set. And it was interesting, but, and funnily enough, that's the sequence of the film that when it came out that I've read the most negative stuff out there. Why in the world do they have this rave sequence in the middle of this film? It's so ridiculous and so stupid. And that sequence got called out by a lot of people is just very, very odd. And we thought the same thing filming it, you know, it was like, they, they kind of pushed, pushed it a little bit past, jumped the shark there a little bit, I felt in that sequence. And I wasn't the only one. Why do you think they filmed that sequence in Alameda instead of picking that up down in Australia? I think because they had the hangar. They had, you know, we were there. They had, the, it, was, it was a gigantic set that they had to build. And I think, uh, I mean, you know, you could ask that question too, really, about the Burley Bowl. You know, I mean, why, you know, that's something they could have done down there. So the Alameda stuff, the main purpose, I, I think, of them shooting there was because of the freeway sequence. And they said, you know, we can we can do it here. We can build this gigantic set. And we can do it. And then I think so. Well, while we're here, what other sequences can we pick up? And it just turned out they happened to be some of the the biggest sequences of the film. In fact, what was uh, what I remember that was cool is a year later when the teaser trailer came out. The, the main sequences that they showed in this teaser trailer were all the stuff we did in Alameda. I remember one shot in that teaser trailer that was from a sequence that was filmed in Australia. But you you kind of knew that. It, the stuff we were doing in Alameda were the sequences that any, that people were going to talk about. Like they were the biggest set pieces of the film. And it feels like what they did in Australia on the second film was not, not nearly as interesting as what we got to do. Zion might've also had something to do with just scheduling. Like I said, Aaliyah was there. Um, yeah. Who's, who's passed on um, initially. So I think certainly there was probably scheduling things within there. Um, I also think Warner Brothers probably thought, do we really want to fly the best stunt people in the world to Australia or do we want to just fly them up to Northern California? <laughs> yeah, I doubt in Australia they have as deep of an, a stunt pool as they do in the United States, especially people like R.A. and all those guys. Annie, what are, what are your thoughts on the, the doing stunts in the U.S. versus down in Australia? Well, I, agree. I agree on that. R.A. actually... Um, has gone to Australia and stunt coordinated quite a few shows. Big yeah, he did Superman down there too. Yeah, he's, yeah. yeah he's, and he actually bought a house down there. So he goes <laughs> down there part of the year every year now. Um, really? That's good. Yeah. yeah, he bought a really cool house down there. Um, so yeah, he got in on Australia quick. But Have you gone down there at all, Annie, to visit? No, I've always wanted to go. Yeah. I definitely want to go there someday. But no, I mean, they, no, they don't have a big pool. They do have, you know, somewhat larger now than they did. 
um, just because of more filming going on there. But no, it's still mainly up here. Yeah, so, I mean, when we, we we were on the freeway, I mean, it it was it was like the hit squad of of the yeah. badass stuff. You know, it really was Troy Gilbert and Ellis. I mean, like every you'd be like. I know all these guys. These, yeah. I mean, th these are the people that you call. Obviously, this is the, this is the gang, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I remember um, for about the first two weeks, I was hitting RA up for a Brand X hat. I said, "All right, you got to give me one of these hats. I want one of these hats." <laughs> and uh, and like on week three, I remember we were in between shots. And he looks at me, and goes, "What are you doing right now?" I said, uh, "Nothing. What do you need?" He goes, "Come here." And I he and I jumped in a golf cart with him. We went to his truck, and he gave me a Brand X hat. Yes, I finally got one. I felt, I felt cool at that point. Yeah, by the way, talking about swag, uh, which to anybody that doesn't know, at the end of most movies, you get a jacket or a bag or a hat. I have never, ever, <laughs> in more than 20 years in the business, worked on a movie where there were more T-shirts. And I mean, every department had like three T-shirts. We got a, an amazing jacket. We got beanies. There was like, I mean, literally, I, I left that show with like 15 Matrix t-shirts with like storyboards on them for the VFX department. And the grips had like, you know, it's a death grips and it's Matrix. and um, The bomber jacket. That bomber, yeah, bomber jacket, super cool, yeah. Hey, uh, just to say one thing about that, Roberts, um, just so you guys know, Matrix Reloaded was the film that my brother... R.A. Rundell and Freddie Heist. My brother had left. Um, they were all in Stunts Unlimited. Yeah, I remember that. They left Stunts Unlimited, but um, they wanted to start a group that was like no dues and not all the inner politics, politics and yeah, politics and all that yeah. stuff. So that was um, pretty much the beginning of Brand X. You know where they had like they actually asked several guys that they brought up to work like. Uh, Tugger, Troy Brown, I know, got in up there. Like, that was where they started it. So yeah. if you got a Brand X on that show, then you got the first one. I got the first edition. I so still have it. Don't let that one go. No, never. No. <laughs> well, Andy, while these guys are locked up in the, in the uh, stages doing these other sequences, any other, um, any other sequences or, or specific stunts from that freeway chase that uh, come back to mind? There was so many that, you know, if you look back at, at all that footage in the film, I, glanced, I looked at it yesterday and I was just, it brought back every single turnover we did. Some were pipe ramps and, you know, just like so much stuff. But there was the one where we had everybody lined up and every single car, I think it was like 20 something of them. And then... Troy Brown was going to come in way late and last and do like a pipe ramp onto all of them. And it's all these cars turn over. Boom, boom. That was, when the, that was when the agent jumped from car to car, right? Yeah. And yeah, that was, that was the big like set piece yeah. of the freeway. That was, that was, was turning over. Yes. And, but then, but then Troy Gilbert's going to come on Troy, not Gilbert, uh, Tugger, Troy Brown was going to come in later than all them. And now he hits his uh, turnover thing, right? The one thing that happened was, I think it was Johnny Meyer's van had surf racks on it. And the surf rack had come undone, like, should have thought of that maybe, but it went through the, the uh, front glass 
of the, another car that was upside down and came and slammed onto his car. So that was a little weird, but that I'll never forget that pile up because it was that was crazy. The special effects department had rigged the first car that the agent is supposed to jump on so that when he lands on the hood of the car, the entire car compacts down. Yep. Um, so that car was pulled. There was a stunt performer in that car, but that was on a, on a on, you know, a, whatever, a big wire. And they yep. would pull that forward. That car would smash down. And that car was towing, if, correct me if I'm wrong, Andy, That's right. two ramps behind it so that the cars could go off either side behind it and, and do their roll in midair with, with guys again. And I remember that van you're talking about because one of those cars on one take impacted the cab, the, the outside you know, left of the driver's door. And if it had been any more, it might have you know, crushed him. So I remember that going like, wow, man. Yeah, that was, and that's, I think that shot's in the film. I remember John Morse saying, come here, you got to see this after that, and, and showing me the playback. And there's a camera in one of the cars, and you see the car just come over camera, crash, and it's slow motion, essentially, crash in this car and roll over. And I remember watching that shot and going, Jesus, that is awesome. And then, and then the, that made it into the film. That was a super cool shot. That, but that sequence, yeah, that was, that was what the most things happened in the middle of it in one scene. That was like the thing that they had really been leading up to. But Andy, who was it? Who was it that was driving the semi truck during that? He was also, I think he was one of the coordinators on bad boys too. Well, yeah, Kevin Scott drove the semi um, a lot of the time where Debbie was on the bike and stuff. Right. Hit the wall. when. That's Debbie it. Okay. That's it. So I have a good story about Kevin that. Scott. I have a good story about that. So we were out there doing that rehearsal and the Wachowski said, so how close, he's asked Kevin, how close do you think you can get this truck to, you know, come skidding in and actually have the trailer come right against the wall of the freeway? He's like, oh yeah, no problem. Let's do it. So we do a rehearsal of it and he comes and brings things around and literally that trailer just barely touched the wall of the freeway and then went off. And we all looked at each other and couldn't believe, like, the precision of how he was able to do that. But then, you know, the ADs, they, the first thing we did is said, okay, before we shoot this, before we do this again, let's get anybody right on the other side of that wall completely away. Because there were, you know, there were staging all this stuff to get them away in case this thing happens to go through the wall. But I remember watching that in rehearsal, and it, there's one of those moments where I go, this, the stunt people on this show are just, to be able to bring that up and to be able to slam the brakes and have this trailer literally come within an inch of this wall and keep going. How do you do that? It's incredible. I have another, I have another fun story that I just remembered, and you guys will remember this. We came in one morning to the freeway, and so at the end of the night, whatever had happened, whether they wrecked cars on that freeway, whatever happened, they would then tow them off. If they were undrivable, they would tow them off so that the freeway was fresh to start again in the morning. And the outside of the freeway, on the other side of the wall, on the right side would end up looking like a junkyard. It would just be smashed cars and cars with their roofs. I mean, like insanity. So we come in one morning to this freeway and there's a car flipped over on the freeway. And everybody goes, but wait a minute. We, we cleared the free, you know, and the guy, the tow guys who were with us are like, no, 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 no. We, we cleared, there was nothing on this freeway. 
So everybody's going, how the hell did a car flip on a freeway after we are all gone? So we go, they go to the, the security guard who they leave on night duty, and it's a different guy. Everybody says, well, where's the guy who's on night duty? And they go, oh, I don't know. He, didn't, he, he, you know, he wasn't here when I got here this morning. So everybody goes, well, okay, well, what, what do you usually see him in the morning? You usually cross pen. He said, well, yeah, I'm, yeah, I arrive in the morning, like 7 a.m., and he signs off and goes home or whatever, goes to sleep. Long story short, this security guard, all these cars had the keys in them, of course, or picture vehicles. It's a secured, you know, site. This security guard thought, you know what, I'm bored. I'm going to take a car and I'm going to take it up to top speed on this freeway and just joyride. This guy took the car. Now, what he didn't know, what he wasn't prepared for, they had left on one of the on-ramps a picture car police car, matrix police car. And apparently what happened was this guy got that car going, suddenly saw in his peripheral as he's doing 90 or 100 on, on our freeway, sees this police car parked there and thinks it's the real deal, loses control, hits the K-rail, the center divider of the freeway, rolls the car, gets out, dusts himself off, and goes home. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the mystery of why there was an overturned car. Didn't he show up the next night for work with a neck brace? I don't I remember. I, okay, I remember hearing he showed, the re, they found our exams. He showed up that work to work that night with a neck brace. And they're like, you idiot. Well, clearly you're the guy. I remember that. And they fired him. Andy, you think he was auditioning? Did he, his name? <laughs> Did he leave a resume for you after that? Oh, boy, not real bright. <laughs> Here's a fun freeway story that has to do with the crew is, remember the golf carts, that every department had a golf cart, and what we were doing was taking the governors off of them so that we could get them up to 30 miles an hour on the freeway. <laughs> <laughs> and what I remember is I had the AD golf cart at one point, and I, we were come back from lunch, and some of the people jumped on me, and I had Morpheus's stand-in on the back. And I took a turn too hard and threw him off, and he fell off the back. And the transfer coordinator saw this, and he came up to me and said, give me the keys. And I gave him the keys. He brought it back an hour later, and he put the governor back on, and the seat had a padlock on it so that I couldn't get in there and take the governor <laughs> off. So at that point, the only thing would only go like six miles an hour and going, all right, well. That was fun while last. We were we were all getting a little crazy on those golf carts because on that left side of the freeway wall, if you were facing the direction everybody was usually going, it was a dirt lot, and they had we had those extra long golf court carts that yeah. had like a, a driver and a passenger, and then another row, and then another row, and then back. So we would get out there on that dirt lot and go at high speed with the governor off, then hit the brake and do a power slide. <laughs> you know, we were all getting yeah. stunt hysteria. We were all like, let's, let's whip a 360. <laughs> or we'd get on the freeway during lunch when, when everything was cleared off and to have races and stuff. But yeah, that, was, uh, that didn't last too long. We got in trouble with that. <laughs> it's contagious, Annie. See what these young PAs are picking up. Look, everybody wants to be a stunt person. They're the coolest people on the crew. I always hang out with the stunt people. It's like, I, you know, it, I can tell what my favorite time ever was time was I did a show with uh, Charlie Picherny one time. Just listen to his stories. I just like, tell me about Die Hard. Talk about Lethal Weapon. Talk about Lethal 2. Like, I, like Sean and I still talk about some of the stories that he's told me. I'm like, you know, th that stuff to me is just, I love hearing all that. So yeah, I generally gravitated toward the stunt people because they were just the rock stars of the set. I mean, to be serious. So tell me more about what it was like on set. 
you know, I did seven years worth and a lot of big shows, and that was the most fun I ever had. Not just because it was it was a fun shoot, which it was, but just being in San Francisco, you know, on the weekends and Alameda was incredible because where that where we were was it was on the bay, and you know, you would step out of the freeway, said step out of these eighteen foot walls and look out, and there's San Francisco. And there's the bay, and it's you know it's gorgeous. Yeah, the bridge, weather. the Bay Bridge. The bridge. It was March and April. We were out there, so it was like comfortable and cool, and it was just so much fun being up there. That was the most fun I ever had. I was one of the reasons I got into business. A couple of years later, I was like, God, you know, now now it feels like work again. You know, after that, I did Star Trek. I did Master Commander. I did Big Fish. One of the last movies I was on was Collateral, which I ended up quitting two weeks in. So I said, I can't do four months a night to this. I'm done. Was, you were on that, weren't you? And it's four months of nights in downtown LA. No thank you. So I, just, I said, this is it. I'm done. So it's, yeah, I felt like I couldn't top the experience of, of being on the, on the Matrix shoot. It was just nothing but action. Great crew. Great ADs. Great. I mean, every, you know, usually you have certain departments where there's a couple of assholes. You know, one of the grips, electric, whatever. You're like, God. They, everybody from every single department on there was so, so nice. It was great. I was going to say, I'll, I'll tell you my, my Fishburne story, and you can use it or not, but uh, I do a lot of impressions, and over the years, I, I, I got known for it on certain sets, and one of the impressions I do is a Christopher Walken, which oddly doesn't necessarily translate so great over electronic medium, but everybody knew I could do it, and we had Lawrence Fishburne, and they did King of New York together, and everybody kept pressuring me, like, you got to go up to him and give him a line as Chris Walken. Now, you know, if you sat with him in that first safety meeting, you weren't going to talk to Lawrence Fishburne unless you, you know what I mean? Like, you were just like, no, 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 you stay away from that guy. He's intense. But they kept saying, like, you got to do it, you got to do it, you got to. And there was one day where there was a long break in setups, and the trailers were directly outside of one of these hangars, and there was a basketball hoop. So he would go out there and let off steam and just shoot hoops until they were ready to call him back in. And a bunch of the PAs were like, go Banyan, go Banyan you got now, do it now. He's like relaxed. He's shooting bass. He's like, you know, he's not in his intense mode. Go do it. So I like fully, I'm like preparing myself. I'm like standing there watching him shoot baskets. I'm like looking for a window. And, and so he, in, the, in King of New York, he and Chris Walken are like best friends. And Chris Walken's been in prison for a lot of years and he gets out and, and he asks a question of Lawrence's character. So I go up and I go, Lawrence. And he goes, stops and kind of looks at me and I'm like oh god I gotta do it now or not or like run so I so I go up to him and I go I gotta ask you a question when I was in the joint why didn't you ever come visit me so he he steps up to me and he gets almost right in my face and I'm literally thinking oh, I'm fucked he's angry <laughs> and instead he goes because I didn't want to see you in a cage man <laughs> and everybody around just fell out loud like by now there was a full audience like seeing if I was about to get killed or if he was going to play with it and he said his line from the movie back to me and grabbed me around the shoulder he's like that was really good man you know and I, I was like I was thrilled with that do you remember on the first day of shooting Sean when you were on the radio and you said Larry's coming in like Larry's ready and, and the first AD goes who said that and you said uh me Sean he said come over here for a second and he called you over and said don't call him Larry. He just like that. That was like a big deal. And we were like, cause you're used to like, Hey, deep in deep cover. He was Larry Fishburne. This is apocalypse now. Larry Fishburne. Like, no, at one point he changed his name to Lawrence. 
and do not let him hear you say Larry. So that was like, okay, it's gonna be, he's going to be one of those kind of intense guys. I'll tell you something else, too, um, related to the freeway stuff. When the Wachowskis came over one day, on the very last day that we were going to have the background out there, they didn't really want to come say anything, make a speech. They, they were really super quiet, like... They're just shy guys. Yeah, they were super yeah. shy. And somebody had said, listen, you know, you got like 700 background in this tent. They've been here for almost like six weeks or whatever. You should really go over there and say something to them because this is it. They're all going away now. So they got me under like, O'Banion, oh, O'Banion. Oh, Larry and Andy are coming over there. And I go, okay, what, what are they doing? What are they doing? They're like, just get everybody together in the tent. Okay, fine. Get everybody into that big tent outside the freeway. Van pulls up. Wachowski step out, they walk into the tent, and I, and I prepped everybody. I'm like, listen, the director's going to, they're really grateful to you guys. They're going to they're gonna make a little speech for you here. So everybody hang on for a second. Everybody had signed out already, all that stuff. And the Wachowskis walk in, and I hand them this microphone, you know, the Voice of God microphone. And they literally looked at each other, and I think it was Andy goes, yeah. uh, thanks for being in our movie. And they handed me back the mic and they walked out. They weren't much for giving speeches. Nice guys, though. <laughs> it was, well, the most, it was the, I built it up, you know. It was the most anticlimactic speech ever. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, thanks for being on the podcast, folks. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for having us, Skid. Thanks a lot, Skid. Appreciate it. Get everybody at Icon again soon. Thank you, Skid. Hope so. And that's our take on The Matrix Reward. If you enjoyed the episode, please take a moment and leave us five stars on iTunes. Fan of the show? Check out our Facebook page at Podcast Below the Line. For Twitter and Instagram, you can find us at Pod Below the Line. If you've got feedback, send email to skid, S-K-I-D, at belowtheline1word.biz. That's B-I-Z. Thanks to Curtis Five for our music, and thanks to John Juan for our logo. If you're a fan of the logo, you can get it inscribed on t-shirts, mugs, and stickers. Just go to redbubble.com and search for Below the Line. Thanks for listening. Hope you'll join us again in two weeks. So I'm going to okay. pick it up from there. Okay. okay. <clears throat> oh, sorry. You want me to go? Nope. I'm sorry. Nope. No, sorry, yeah. Sean. Okay. I'm going to go. Yeah, sorry. That's, uh, sorry. I've got it. I got okay. it. Okay. I'm sorry. That's I okay. thought you not to me. I'm like, wait a minute. Okay. I'm going to mute you. It looks like let, let, let the host bring you into it, Robert. Let the host <laughs> right. do the hosting. I'm not used to all this fancy podcast stuff. <laughs> yeah, this is the edge of fancy for sure. <laughs> the edge. <laughs>